Morning, gentlemen. It is good to be back. Uh, we start a new uh, journey today. Um, in that, uh, we've been doing men's roundtable uh, for 12 and a half years. Uh, coming up in August, we will have been here 13 years. And last week was the first time I've had to call in sick in uh, 12 and a half years. So I'm working on another 12 and a half years uh, starting today. Uh, but it, it is uh, good to be back. Carla's glad that I'm back. I'm a horrible patient. Uh, I'm a whiner. I'm a complainer. Uh, so uh, she's glad to have me out of the house and uh, uh, back here. And I'm, and I'm glad to be here. Um, I want to offer you a song this morning, as we traditionally do. And we're working on a song list that uh, we want you to have um, at the end of this series. Uh, music is such a critical part of our journey. Uh, David was the uh, poet uh, musician um, that was the man after God's own heart. And uh, music is, is such an important uh, healing instrument in the hands of God. And when we're going through these dark times of our life, um, the wilderness experiences, uh, we need music. You need to be listening to music. And the song that I want to offer you this morning is by Carrie Job, uh, Be Still My Soul. And I want you just to follow with me uh, uh, the words before we listen to it. Uh, the words are on the back of your notes there. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. And then it continues. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. And then the chorus, um, in you I rest, in you I found my hope, in you I trust. You never let me go. I place my life within, thy, within your hands alone. Be still, my soul. May you hear the voice of God this morning through Carrie Job. on thy side bear patiently the cross of grief or pain leave to thy God to order and provide in every change he faithful will remain be still my soul Thy best, thy heavenly friend Through thorny ways 
leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds to know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. In you I rest, in you I found my hope, in you I trust, you never let me go, I place my life within your hands alone. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on When we shall be forever with the Lord When disappointment, grief and fear are gone Sorrowful God Love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. In you I rest, in you I found my hope, in you.
Amen. 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 Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Into the wilderness. Understanding and embracing the dark times of our life. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph on your notes. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust Him, He must present us with a moment of crisis. And since He wants us to seek help from Him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When you're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, then we can trust Him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. Into the wilderness. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Would you? But I certainly would not change any of the wilderness experiences of my own life. I wouldn't go back and change that. I didn't like being there. Uh, really, really dark um, times in my life. But I wouldn't change that because now I see the fruit of that. At whatever level uh, that I've learned to trust God and matured in my faith, so much of it has been because of the wilderness experiences that God has taken me through. Um, I wish that I could say, as James says, count it our, all joy when you encounter various trials. Uh, it was hard to say that then. I can say that now. I count it all joy now because I'm out of it. But it is so um, honoring to sit with another man, to sit with you, to, to watch you sit with each other and walk through wilderness experiences together. That's what kingdom living is about. Pick up your pen. I've got three questions for you. Let's go to work deliberately. So I want you to answer these three questions. What was it like when you were in the wilderness? What was that like? And again, that question assumes that you've already had a wilderness experience. And some of you I know may be in the wilderness right now. What is that like? What was that like? If you could somehow paint a picture and quantify it, what was that like? To me, it was like being... Um, in the middle of the ocean, 
in a little boat adrift. No sight of land anywhere, just alone adrift. Like Zui, uh, uh, Louis Zamperini, who actually went through that kind of experience, that the, his whole story in the middle of a raft in the middle of the ocean. That's the wilderness. It's lonely. So the second question that I would ask you, describe the loneliness of the wilderness. How would you somehow quantify that? What is loneliness like? Again, loneliness, because loneliness is typically part of the wilderness experience. God will take us into that lonely place in order to show us that he's really present. But it feels like you're in a dark closet. And the longer you sit in the darkness, the more you get disoriented. You don't remember where the door to the closet is. You know, you spin yourself around a couple of times and stay in the darkness long enough, you can't find your way out of that which even seems familiar. You're totally disoriented. Loneliness. And then thirdly, who do you know that's in the wilderness now? And again, you may put your own name uh, in there. You may be in the wilderness now. Who do you know? Last week, um, as um, I walked through the flu, which was miserable, and I'm coughing up my lungs uh, now. I have my, have my paper towels right here, so I hope Joe will be safe this morning. Um, but when I got back from deer camp, we had deer camp, and, I, and that's when I got sick, which is miserable being uh, sick in the middle of my favorite weekends of the year. Um, when I got home, as I mentioned on the video um, uh, that I did for you last week, our neighbors across the street were in the wilderness. And Mike and Sally McPeak are dear friends. When we first moved into Fairhope, and we moved into this little cottage uh, that we've uh, fixed up, I look across the street, and across the street is a Tennessee flag on the flagpole. Go Vols! So I'm thinking, wow, you know, got a friend. So Mike and I, Mike grew up in Jackson, Tennessee, and he and I uh, become good friends. And of course, Mike has been to deer camp and fish camp and two of our summer trips, and Mike and Sally have just become dear, dear friends. They got a call uh, early Saturday morning that... Um, Sally's uh, nephew, her brother's son, 21-year-old uh, president of SAE at Auburn, um, just made the dean's list, just a great kid, had a bright future, uh, committed suicide Saturday morning. Um, and there's no note, uh, no apparent reason. All, we, we all know that all behavior has a reason. There's there's a story there. It's just not been uncovered. And, and part of what the story seems to be right now is just um, antidepressant medication that has side effects of suicidal ideation. That may be one possible deal because there seems to be no explanation. Um, so I was kind of quarantined the first part of the week and 
um, I didn't venture out into uh, public until Thursday, and that's when the funeral was. And um, James Stallworth is the young man's name, and uh, James um, had just become friends uh, with a priest uh, down in Foley, St. Margaret's of Scotland, beautiful, beautiful uh, church and parish. And um, so we went to the funeral. Um, the little church holds about 600, and half of the church was filled with great-looking Auburn um, guys and gals, and they rented a couple of uh, charter buses, and they came over, his fraternity and the sorority. And um, the priest um, had become a good friend of James. James was very tight with the priest. And when the priest opened the service, he said, there is only one hope today, and his name is Jesus. And only by having faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone, do we have any hope of eternity. And I'm like, he has my attention at that point because I've been in Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and Catholic churches that couldn't make the gospel any clearer than that right off the bat. Um, our hope is only true if we embrace the Lord Jesus. The only way to be strengthened is through the Lord Jesus, quote-unquote, by the priest. And then he finished his homily, and he said this, Jesus loved James in life, and now he loves him in death. Beautiful. Where are we without Jesus? When we're in the wilderness, what do you cling to? Again, part of this whole series is knowing that the wilderness is not an accident. And every time I've been in the wilderness and times that you've been in the wilderness, I could argue I got myself in this situation. And yeah, I'm always responsible. But now as I look back on it, God allowed that. God was leading in that in some sort of strange, mysterious way. And I don't know what God is going to do uh, in the family of James Stallworth, but I already see the fruit of what's happening uh, in his aunt, his uncle, his father, and others. I want you to turn to a neighbor, uh, and I want you just to interact a little bit now with the, just that third question. Who do you know that's in the wilderness? Uh, and if it's you, uh, acknowledge that. Uh, but spend a couple minutes just acknowledging the wilderness. Who do you know? <laughs> Hope you had a chance to share. <laughs> Let's continue. Wilderness. What we want to look at this morning is the only way to the kingdom is through the wilderness. If we're going to get to the kingdom of God, then we have to go through 
wilderness paths. It's like in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan wrote 500 years ago, second most written book, printed book and read book, second only to the Bible. And John Bunyan captured the essence of the Christian life through this uh, allegory of Christian leaving um, the city of destruction on a journey to the celestial city. And when he comes out of the gate of the city of destruction, he immediately uh, walks into the slough or the slough, depending on what part of the country you're from, the slough of despond. He's in the muck. He's in the wilderness. One of the great stories of the Old Testament, and you can turn over to uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, is the story of Elijah. I love the story of Elijah. It's been an encouragement to me personally um, as I've struggled with depression and um, uh, just fear and anxiety um, in the past. And Elijah is anchored in that kind of depression in 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, but most of us know Elijah from chapter 18. And 18 is where um, Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal, uh, Jezebel's uh, priesthood, and he defeats them uh, by bringing fire on the rocks on the altar. And he humiliates uh, team Jezebel. And it's this incredible victory um, over the prophets of Baal. And so most of us that grew up in church, we heard Bible stories about chapter 18 or 1 Kings. But 17 is really so critical because 17 is the preparation for 18. 17 God puts Elijah in the wilderness because he confronts Ahab. Now, I'm going to read the last verse, and uh, I didn't tell Jeff this, so he doesn't have it on the screen, but verse 34 of 16 says this. It was under Ahab's rule that Hiel of Bethel refortified Jericho, but at a terrible cost. He ritually, now listen to this, he ritually sacrificed his firstborn son, Abram, at the laying of the foundation. Dude, really? Sacrifice your son and his youngest son, Segeb, at the setting of the gates. That's the kind of guy that Ahab was. He would sacrifice his own sons. And this is exactly what Joshua, son of Nun, said would happen. So now we move into 17. So follow with me. 1 Kings 17. And then this happened. Elijah the Tishbite. Just good old basic Elijah. From among the settlers of Gilead confronted Ahab. Now I want you to get the emotional tone of that right there. Confronted Ahab. When was the last time that you had to go in and talk 
to your boss or talk to a friend or talk to an employee and you had to confront somebody. I mean, he's confronting Ahab. And this guy's the kind of guy that sacrificed his son. You get it? Probably not the safest guy to confront. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain, unless I say otherwise. Elijah speaks the word of God to Ahab. Now, how's that going to work out? Well, the way it worked out is that God then takes Elijah into the wilderness. God then told Elijah, get out of here and fast, head east and hide out at the Kareth Ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. You can drink fresh water from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you. Wow. You know, go into the wilderness, hang out at the brook, plenty of fresh water, and the ravens will bring you food. How cool is that? Elijah obeyed God's orders. He went and camped at the Kareth Canyon on the other side of the Jordan. And sure enough, ravens brought him his meals, both breakfast and supper, and he drank from the brook. I'll have my eggs sunny side up. Eventually, the brook dried up because of the drought. And then God spoke to him, get up and go to Zaphrath in Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. God takes Elijah into the wilderness and says, I'll provide to you. And Elijah must be thinking of Ahab. When's Ahab going to come? When's Ahab going to come? He's after me. He's after me. Little paranoid today. Little anxiety today. Feel like having a panic attack. Um, the raven brings me some food. That's better. Plenty of water. And then, dude, really? The brook dries up. God, what are you doing? Are you just messing with me? But go on over to, uh, and a lady will take care of you. So he got up and went to Zephyr, and he came to the entrance of the village, and he met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. He asked her, please, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I need a drink. And she went to get it, and he called out, and while you're at it, would you bring me something to eat? She said, I swear, as surely as God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. After we eat, we'll die. We're down to the, to the last bit. And Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you've said. But first make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. And then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. Now listen to this. And this is the word of God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out, and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. Trust me. Trust me. The flour's not going to run out. But I've just got enough for one biscuit. Trust me. Trust me. 
And she went off and did it just as Elijah asked. And it turned out, as he said, daily food for her and her family. The jar of meal didn't run out and the bottle of oil didn't become empty. God's promise fulfilled to the letter exactly as Elijah had delivered. God's promise fulfilled. The righteous man lives by faith. God speaks, man believes. God speaks, man believes. That's the gospel, gentlemen. That's the gospel. We believe in what God has provided through Jesus. And only by putting our faith in Jesus do we have any hope. Whether we're a 21-year-old SAE fraternity president or we're sitting in this room this morning knowing of men in the wilderness or knowing that we ourselves are in the wilderness. Later on, the woman's son became sick and the sickness took a turn for the worse and then he stopped breathing. The woman said to Elijah, why did you ever show up here in the first place? A holy man barging in and exposing my sins and killing my son? I'm dead because holiness has walked into my presence and you have discovered that I'm a sinner. That's her thinking. Elijah said, hand me your son. He then took him from her bosom, carried him over to the loft where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And then he prayed, oh God, my God, why have you brought this terrible thing on this widow who has opened her home to me? Why have you killed her son? Three times he stretched himself out full length on the boy, praying with all his might, God, my God, put breath back into this boy's body. And God listened to Elijah's prayer and put breath back into his body. He was alive. Elijah picked the boy up, carried him downstairs from the loft and gave him to his mother. Here's your son, said Elijah, alive. And the woman said to Elijah, I see it all now. I see it all now. I see it all now. You have given me eyes to see. I see it. You are a holy man. When you speak, God speaks a true word. And when God speaks, I believe. Elijah goes on to come out of the wilderness. Guys, the wilderness is just preparation. You can't have chapter 18 without chapter 17. You can't have this great victory over the prophets of Baal unless you spent time in the wilderness and allowed the ravens to feed you in the brook to provide water. And to even watch God heal a widow's son. Those are small potatoes, but you don't get the feast unless you've been in the wilderness. Elijah goes through chapter 18, has this great victory. And he's so exhausted. And Ahab runs to Jezebel. And Ahab was a bad dude. But evidently, Jezebel was worse. And Jezebel threatens to kill Elijah. Elijah gets word, and now he is depressed. And chapter 19 talks about that. He goes to a cave, and he just wants to die. He just wants to die. And God, once again, tells him, go to sleep. He wakes up. He comes out, and there's a fire outside the cave, and there's food, hot baked bread, and God provides. But I want you to listen to what God does in, in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 17. Now, this is not on your notes, but I wanted to add this in this morning, and Jeff's got it up on the screen. 1 Kings 19, verse 11. Then he was told, 
Elijah, God's speaking to him. He says, go stand on the mountain at attention before God and God will pass by. This is so powerful. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't to be found in the wind. Rushing wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. And when Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there, and a quiet voice asked, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? He heard the voice of God in the quietness. God once again reassured him that he was with him and he had his hand on his life. Gentlemen, being in the wilderness is simply preparation. It's a painful time. But Elijah would have never been able to confront the prophets of Baal. He goes into the wilderness and he experiences the loneliness of the wilderness. And even the provisions that God initially provided, the brook, it dries up. <laughs> really? I mean, it's just like, God, are you just, you just messing with me? No. I'm teaching you how to walk by faith. I just want you to trust me. Protection, provision, preparation, always. The only way to the celestial city is through wilderness pass. The only way to the deep, intimate relationship with God that we want is to walk through the hard times and watch God strengthen our trust in Him. See, the wilderness is preparation. And I want to show you uh, a clip. We're, we're kind of using um, as our case study uh, the Band of Brothers because the Band of Brothers, uh, Easy Company, uh, these guys were headed into the battle, to the front lines. And what they experienced was the wilderness. I mean, for many years, these guys wouldn't even talk about what Dick Winters, uh, their leader, and others had done. But as they've told their stories, we understand more of what it was like. When we go into the wilderness, the wilderness is intended to be a preparation for what God wants to do in our lives in a deeper, significant way. And when Easy Company were first getting their marching orders, that they were going to be parachuting behind enemy lines and that as the uh, guys would come off the beach, Easy Company and the other paratroopers would have flown over the enemy lines and landed behind enemy lines and come in behind and take out many of the machine guns. And without them uh, taking out the machine guns, more men would have been killed on the beaches. So the preparation for D-Day was significant. Imagine being an easy company and you're being instructed on what's getting ready to happen. 
It's like being in the wilderness. And the wilderness is the preparation for what God wants to do in a grander way. Maybe he has D-Day in mind for you, but you need to be instructed. You need to go through the wilderness preparation. Watch this clip, preparation for D-Day. training the army has to offer under the worst possible circumstances they volunteered for it christ dick i was just shooting crap through them it's not like you I know why they volunteered so when things out in the foxhole next to them would be the best not some draftee who's gonna get them killed are you ticked because they like me because i'm spending time to get to know my soldiers i mean come on you've been two years i've been here for six days we're gambling, Bob. So what? Soldiers do that. Bad for it. What if you'd won? What? What if you'd won? Never put yourself in a position where you can take from these men. Gentlemen, answer. On the last training jump? Close the flap. Then we turn left. Yeah. Bearings. 12 minutes. Then another left. Yes. Yeah. Call it 358 for 10 and a half minutes. Green light, right over Ramsbury. Ramsbury, every single time. Linear distance on the grid of about, okay, Ramsbury, a pottery. So, it's Normandy. Saint-Marie du Mont, causeway number one, causeway number two. The estuary of the Douve River divides two beachheads, codenamed Utah here 
and Omaha. Seaborne infantry will hit these beaches in force at a date and time to be specified. H hour, D-Day. Airborne's objective, gentlemen, is to take the town of Carentan, or Carentan, thus linking Utah and Omaha into a single continuous Utah into one continuous beachhead. Each trooper will learn this operation by heart and know his and every other outfit's mission to the detail. Lieutenant Meehan? Yes, Dukeman. Sir? It's time for you to know, we'll let you know. In the meantime, study these sand tables, maps, and reconnaissance photos until you can draw a map of the area by memory. Now, we will drop behind this Atlantic wall five hours before the 4th Infantry lands at Utah. Between our assembly area and the battalion's objective, there is a German garrison right here in this area, Saint-Marie-de-Mont. Easy to destroy that garrison. So what if, what if, your wilderness experience and my wilderness experience was intended by God to be just as deliberate as the strategist's deliberation over maps was to prepare Easy Company and others to go through D-Day. If we only had maps and compasses and paper in front of us that would say to us, we are being prepared for a greater battle. Maybe it would make sense. But we don't get that kind of deliberation. What we get is God's word that says, I'm going to take you through wilderness because I've done that with all of the great saints. And I'm going to take you through hard times as a preparation for what I want you to do. I have a mission for you. I have a greater mission for you but you're going to have to go through the wilderness in order to get there. But some of the things we've got to remember, guys, if we're going to walk through the wilderness, several things, and I'll just run through these and we'll close. Walking through the wilderness, number one, requires that we understand that our life is to be lived for the glory of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about the glory of God. To the glory of God. All parts of my life. And secondly, we in no way want to minimize the pain. Embrace the pain. This hurts. This is painful. Acknowledge it. Embrace it. And understand that what God is doing is He removes our weakness and builds character through those wilderness experience. I mean, just like, how do you build a soldier? I mean, these young men, 17 and 18, a 19-year-old young men, trained at Camp Tekoa in Georgia, trained. And then the freedom that we have today is because those guys jumped out of an airplane behind enemy lines. Weakness. Overcome, character built. It's like a gymnasium. That part of walking through the wilderness is a gymnasium. The Greek word for trained is gymnazo, from which we get our word gymnasium. It's like we're in a training. We're in a training. The wilderness, the hard time, train us.
And then we need to have a mindset that embraces suffering. Suffering is part of God's equation to grow us. Suffering does not automatically or naturally lead to growth and good outcomes, but it must be handled properly. I want to read to you 1 Peter chapter 4, just a couple of verses. Verses 12 and 13. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Guys, this Christian life that we live, this kingdom living, incorporates suffering. That is part of the equation. When you're suffering, it's not God's plan B. It's our plan B, but that is God's plan A. And finally, it changes our heart. How will I get through this? It's an issue of the heart. Only by a heart that is connected to God embrace the experience of the wilderness and produce wisdom, endurance, joy, self-knowledge, courage, and humility. It is one thing to believe in God, but it is quite another thing to trust God. I believe in God, but do you trust Him? Guys, that's the gospel. If you say you believe in God, then Jesus says one day He will say to you, I knew you not. Because it is only by faith and putting our faith in the midst of the wilderness in a God who has suffered and died for us. He was the ultimate sufferer. He was the ultimate wilderness journeyer. And the only way to the kingdom is through the wilderness. You want to get to the celestial city? It runs through wilderness pass. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for the model of Elijah. Uh, Remind us that when we are going through difficult times, that you're not absent but you're very much in the thick of the pain uh, in the darkness. Thank you for that reminder this morning. May we trust you today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you next week.